got a friend in me When the road looks rough ahead And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed Hello, welcome to Tick Hanks with Memories. I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Toy Story. Um, once again, Tom Hanks uh, has the honour of being the star of the first film of a nascent film studio. Uh, he did this with Touchstone and Splash, and here he is 11 years later doing it with Toy Story. Uh, the film was released on the 22nd of November 1995. It was a gigantic box office hit. Um, it made 11 times its budget and, it, you know, it was a phenomenon. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 100%. Um, one of two films, I think, or three films that Tom has 100% on. Um, on the audience score, it gets 92%. On IMDb, it has an 83 um, and basically, I mean, I feel like I shouldn't have to tell anyone about Toy Story. You know, obviously it, it created Pixar. Um, you know, it later on helped Disney expand into the animation business, which is weird because they were already in that animation business. But I guess they killed themselves off with with the start here. Um, you know, the same year they put out uh, Pocahontas, uh, Toy Story came out. And I think Pocahontas actually outperformed Toy Story, but... Uh, you know, further down the line, I think that uh, Toy Story has had more of an impact than Pocahontas had. Joining me to talk about today, I have Andrew Dorowski. Hello. I have Kestra Dorowski. Hello. And I have Kelly Hansen. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, here is the thing. Um, you know, obviously, when I'm talking to people on this podcast, I'll ask them if they remember the first time they saw a particular film. And I remember exactly when I saw this film. Uh, because I still have the ticket uh, for it. And it was on the 24th of March, 1996. That was actually the opening weekend over here. Um, Despite the fact it was released um, around Thanksgiving in America, it it didn't get come out over here until, um, you know, uh, the day before the Oscars that year, I think. Um, uh, The next day after I saw this film, uh, I saw Trainspotting. Um, (laughs) 24 hours later <laughs> so oh, that um, classic you know two feature. pretty good films <laughs> yeah uh i went uh, i was actually staying at a friend's uh from university and she we, we took her younger brother to see this film um and then we we saw train spotting the next day without him because he was not old enough to see train spotting obviously um but yeah so i paid three pound 90 to see this film um you know uh, which i think it, i think that's a pretty good price for it um, I, I'm going to say, uh, Andrew Kestra, do you remember the first time that you saw Toy Story? I, I don't know if I saw this one in theater or if my real exposure was just a VHS copy, um, that was in frequent rotation. For me, uh, it came out right before, like right around the time that I turned one. So I'm sure I did not see it in theater, <laughs> but, uh, I remember that it was part of my childhood and I watched it quite a lot on VHS. I mean, thank you for making me feel extremely old. <laughs> Obviously I was at least 18 because Trainspotting is 18. So, uh, yeah. So if the listeners can work out how old I am now from that. Um, and Kelly? Uh, similar to Kestra, I was born in 1991, and this movie is, what, 1992, 93? 95. Oh, gosh, okay. It's uh, a little later than I thought, but no, I don't remember. I, it was a staple of my entire childhood. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I I think it's, it's obviously, you know, I don't want to get too much into the history of Pixar and its creation and everything. I think everyone's kind of familiar with it. 
Um, you know, obviously it was, uh, you know, effectively part of Lucasfilm um, and then kind of spun off from their computer animation division that had done some work there. Um, and Steve Jobs put some money into it. Um, he's credited as a, an executive producer on this film. Um, and then in 1988, they won uh, an Oscar for Tin Toy. And I think I also remember... Um, because uh, I remember seeing that on TV, and then I also remember seeing Luxo Jr., I think, which was a couple of years later. Um, so, you know, when this film came out and, you know, uh, Luxo Jr. is jumping on the eye, I was like, oh, that's the lamp from that short film that I saw a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, they pitched the idea of kind of doing, you know, uh, a completely computer-generated film. The initial idea was to expand, uh, like, the Brave Little Toaster and do, like, a fully kind of CGI version of that. Um, you know, this film itself, I think, is something like, um, I don't know, 82 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's not a long one. And the reason for that is very simple. They could not render a film longer than 81 minutes. Uh, they did not have the computer capacity to make a film that would be longer than 81 minutes. Um, you know, they set up like a, a very kind of rudimentary render farm. Um, and it worked around the clock for like months on end just to get like, you know, a film that was like 81 minutes long. That was the thing that kind of limited them. I think it's the, the same thing is true with like... Um, a Bug's Life, which I think is also roughly the same length, and and then going forward, like Toy Story Two, um, you know, Monsters Inc. Like a lot of those films are limited by the fact that they could only render a film that was that length. Um, so they always kind of went as long as they possibly could in terms of like um, you know the length of a film. Um, so this is a gloriously quick eighty-one minutes. I mean, it is you know uh, it, it is a breeze to watch. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't like rewatched this for a while. Um, I watched it again today, as I do with most of the films on the podcast. And I just forgot how like kind of just charming and how fast everything is. Like you know, you get introduced to the toys, you get introduced to Buzz. You know, we understand that Buzz thinks he's you know a person and not a toy. And then you know, into that you also have the whole moving storyline. That it was just so quick. Um, and then obviously also the songs, which are you know are amazing. Um, but we can obviously get into that as we talk about it. Um, yeah, so the idea was, you know, can we make a film that is longer than 80 minutes, basically? That was kind of the length they, they wanted to aim for. Um, they did some test footage by taking some dialogue from Turner and Hooch, uh, where Tom Hanks is yelling at the top of his lungs, which obviously he does a lot in 80s films. And they animated, um, you know, Buzz, uh, sorry, Woody over the top of that. And that sold it to Tom Hanks. Um, and so while he was shooting A League of Their Own and Philadelphia and Forrest Gump on weekends, he was doing voice work as Woody, which is it's kind of amazing that while he was doing this voice, he won two Oscars back to back, um, you know, but obviously that is the streak that Tom Hanks was on in the early 90s. Um, you know, uh, they had a couple of setbacks where like they started kind of animating it and, you know, they had half the film and then the Disney executives kind of took a look at it and they were like uh, we don't like any of this <laughs> like uh they didn't like the way that woody was acting they didn't like his interaction with the other toys he was kind of very mean and angry and um you know the kind of the main people at uh, pixar um you know john laster and andrew stanton and pete doctor uh, they kind of over a weekend kind of brought people in and rewrote the script from from beginning to end to kind of change uh, the way that Woody was, and then they threw out all the animation they'd started and 
um, they started, uh, you know, from the top again, and they did it, you know, v like very quickly, um, working like, you know, 24 hour days. Um, I mean, this kind of happened to them on the first few films that they did where like, I guess they, you know, they didn't have the routine they have now where they plan stuff out years in advance and so they were just kind of throwing it together all that was left basically was the the main elements of each of the characters that they'd already created um now when this film came out there was a tiny bit of controversy because it obviously features some real life toys um it also features toys that aren't you know actual toys uh, although obviously because of this film they became that um but the whole mr potato head thing was seen as like a, a very long product placement um, and there were some people who criticized this film because they felt it was basically, you know, an advertisement for trying to sell toys directly to kids because like every character is a toy. Um, and, you know, I like I, I, I personally kind of don't think that that's completely accurate. Like, you know, the idea is just this is about toys that a kid plays with. Um, you know, and the fact that obviously Woody and Buzz eventually became, you know, top selling toys later on. Uh, is completely, you know, just because the film was a phenomena, um, you know, and, and kind of, uh, you know, not only just a technical marvel, but also, you know, uh, just a, such a well-written and well-acted film. Um, so, but yeah, there was some criticism, um, but at the same time, I think people have kind of come to see that, you know, that really isn't that much of a kind of issue. Um, although one of the issues in the film is the fact that they couldn't do humans convincingly, which is evidenced by the fact that the younger sister mm -hmm. is yes. kind of horrific. I mean, you know, they, they obviously they did the thing that, you know, um, Charlie Brown does, which is they limited where like the adults. So, you, you, you know, you see a lot of the adults, you know, their legs and stuff. You don't really see their full bodies. Um, you know, although obviously these are Andy's toys, the amount of Andy that's in this film is actually surprisingly small. Um, I will say, I think I think they're worse at dogs than they are at people in this movie. Absolutely. That like Scud the dog is that is he does not look like a dog. Rough. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I think it's funny because obviously at the end, not to spoil the ending for anyone, but Andy gets a puppy, and obviously you know when we get to Toy Story two, we will see that puppy, and I think they have improved a lot. Like in terms, and by the time they get to Toy Story three, obviously you know we get the full story of that puppy's life because it's obviously uh, you know near the end of his life, I think. Um, but, yeah, but in this one, you're yeah. you're right. The humans are a little rough. Some of the other stuff is quite rough. The toys, it, I think it was a good choice to do the toys because they're yes. able to have them look plasticky and stiff. Yeah, and move in a different way, and that that's just like with Disney Animation Studios when it started with Snow White, they had issues animating certain characters like the prince and Snow White, and it just uh, when you're starting off with animation. Some things need a little more uh, work. Yeah. In general. Uh, yeah. Um, I should say it took 800,000 machine hours to render this film, which is insane. Um, although, um, for something like Wally, -E, um, I think there were some of those shots which took a full day just to render one second of animation <laughs> uh, because it was so complex. Um, that's how quickly things ramp up. Like you, you know, Wally's only like you know seven years away from this, um, and it, it like the difference is kind of insane. Like you know, but yeah, they limit the amount of people that are in this. Um, there is Andy, and there is Andy's friends, who are all just Andy again, um, but slightly different. <laughs> um, there's a few shots where you notice there's it's just a bunch of Andy clones, uh, but wisely they steer away from actually showing them on screen too much. So you get a lot of you know legs and kids playing with toys and stuff, but you don't get too much of them on screen. Um, and as I said, we don't get a huge amount of Andy. We get like Andy coming in and playing with the toys for a bit and then go in and then, 
you know, the story is very much around the toys. And like you said, the the choice for that was very simple. Um, they knew they could animate toys and they would look like toys. Um, and so that's what they went with. You know, kind of getting that kind of hard plastic was very easy for the animation. Um, you know, whereas, you know, doing humans is something that I think even today, you know, these kind of CGI animated films of, you know, they've come a long way, but there's, they, they, it's still easier for them to choose to kind of stylize um, humans rather than, um, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, there's definitely limitations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, well, then, you know, let's uh, jump in. We start with the wallpaper, which looks like the sky, and then it turns out that we're actually in a bedroom, um, and we see Andy playing with the toys. And obviously this is something that will become you know, a recurring thing within these films in this franchise where, um, you know, we are introduced to the toys and they're being played with. And obviously, you know, they're mostly their roles are, um, you know, just completely whatever Andy wants them to be. <laughs> so obviously, you know, uh, you know, the piggy bank ham is, is a piggy bank. So obviously he has money in and, you know, there's a lot of kind of um, Western scenarios that are obviously put together here. Um, you know, with Woody being the sheriff and coming in and rescuing things, and obviously Bo Peep, um, you know, being the one that gets rescued. There's a nice little thing where the uh, the the sheep are, are on the the the, um, the track, uh, you know, and you know, kind of almost like the the kind of old timey, um, you know, kind of woman being tied to the tracks of a, a railroad. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I love just I just love this introduction because you know we we get the toys, but we obviously don't get them as themselves. We get them as a child would play with them, which is you know to kind of give them roles in a specific thing that they're doing. Um, although obviously, um, you know, Woody is pretty much always the sheriff in any of these scenarios. Like all the other toys can have their roles switched around, but Woody is always playing Woody essentially. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's he's for the playtime. He's the main character, and everyone else is supporting. Yeah, um, and what I like as well. I mean, I should say this: Andy's got a lot of toys. I mean, this is a lot for a you know for one kid. This is a lot of toys in this room. Um, once Andy stops playing with them, and we you know we find out obviously the premise of them, which is the toys come alive when the children you know are not in sight, or or any adults are not in sight as well. Um, you know, it, I. It's kind of interesting exactly how many... I mean, it takes forever for Woody to gather the toys for the meeting because there are so many of them. Um, But, yeah, I mean... And obviously we get You've Got a Friend in Me, which is such... I mean, what I love about that song is, like, in this film, it is very kind of, um, you know, optimistic and, you know, it's very happy and obviously it's about the relationship between Woody and Andy. Um, And that film will get... You know, that song will get used again in, in later films and kind of some of the later lyrics in that song um you know become kind of uh you know a, a bit darker um but i don't know, it's just it, like you know I, I i've not listened to like a huge amount of randy newman stuff um but i think he, he was just kind of like a very good choice for this because he sets a certain tone um you know and also you know the score as well will follow um you know the kind of the the, the you know you've got a friend in me that kind of production um, that becomes like the the tone of the whole film is 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 done through that that kind of um, the same kind of score, um, but yeah, I mean it's just a wonderful song and and obviously it illustrates the closeness between um, Andy and uh, Woody, which will you know that will be the central conflict is you know him him wanting to be the main toy. Obviously, as soon as he leaves, uh, you know all the toys come alive, 
And that, you know, that is kind of the basic premise that I think, you know, is what sold it to Disney is like, what if toys came alive when, you know, children weren't around? Um, and, you know, I like the, the fact that Woody obviously knows that he is, uh, you know, the kind of the leader of the toy room. And like every toy kind of interacts with him, <laughs> you know, Slinky talks to him, Mr. Potato Head talks to him, you know, um, Rex tries to scare him and obviously he's not scared. <laughs> and, um, you know, even even the Etch-A-Sketch, you know, they they have the kind of the, I mean, you know, such a wonderful moment when he he says draw and obviously, you know, the kind of double meaning and the fact that like Etch-A-Sketch kind of draws a gun very quickly and stuff like and obviously throughout the rest of the film Etch-A-Sketch also will be used to kind of subtly convey the change in leadership um you know but I it's just a wonderful there's a wonderful kind of introduction first of all to how Andy interacts with the toys but then also how the toys interact when Andy isn't around um you know in particular the staff meeting where uh, obviously Woody uses uh the uh like the microphone with the <laughs> which of course he you know he gets feedback and he has to tell you know the speaker part of the microphone to kind of take a few steps away so he doesn't get feedback um but yeah i just i just kind of like that and how he assumes the role of leader i think it's quite charming and and a great way to interact with the with all the different characters and see what what kind of toys we are dealing with and and who and you can obviously definitely tell who is like more important uh for the storyline and who who is not who's going to have more speaking roles who's not so like slinky and rex are going to have more speaking roles than the etch-a-sketch obviously <laughs> or 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 mike the the microphone yeah so you kind of get like a sense of, like okay who's going to be the the main chunk of toys that we are dealing with there's going to be other toys that that show up and have elements in the story but like who are the characters that we really need to know and understand i think it does a really effective job introducing them um showing woody's interactions with them showing his his like friendship with them or his leadership with them what is his dynamic um with with the different characters and you get you know a, a bunch of voice acting um introduced up front here as well yeah i mean i should say obviously you know uh jim varney as slinky um you know is i i mean i always enjoy i mean i like uh the whole kind of like earnest thing was never really a big thing over here <laughs> so like you know obviously in later years i figured out you know who jim varney was but like mostly i knew him from his voice in toy story so um you know uh he he is great as slinky he's yeah. the the main one that i was thinking of it's like god yeah, jim varney is slinky and yeah. so good yeah, and I do. I you know, obviously John Ratzenberger um, starting his streak here of I think appearing in every Pixar film um, to date. Um, you know, as Ham, and I, I, I mean, what's weird is like Ham. I, I don't know why, but in this first film, he does a lot of like double entendres with uh, with regards to Woody when he talks about you know various things once Buzz arrives, um, and obviously Annie Potter's Bo Peep is really great. I, you know. I think obviously you know they they give her more of a prominent role later on in Toy Story Four, um, but here like again we, like we have to have someone that Woody has as a love interest, um, but you know obviously we kind of given the excuse that like the baby sister um, is in the is in the same room and obviously that's why some of her toys are there, um, and you know that kind of gives that gives uh, you know Woody a chance to obviously interact with her. Uh, I think that they're, I love this scene. I think that it's really original. And I think that you get a good sense of the personality for each of the different toys. So for that reason, I mean, I think it's like 
one of the better scenes in the movie, actually. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, within this, we get some exposition because, um, you know, we, we see Woody is being playing with uh, whilst You've Got a Friend in Me is, is on. And we see hints that there is a birthday coming up. Um, and we see, you know, that there's a birthday banner put up. And obviously Woody is aware of this. And so he calls the staff meeting, um, you know, to tell everyone, <laughs> you know, he says he, he I, I like that, like earlier in the week, they had like a seminar uh, uh, on like, uh, you know, plastic and stuff. And, you know, the speak and spell gave like a lecture. Um, so there's kind of like a very uh, rich kind of like life going on <laughs> with these toys. And then Woody announces that obviously, you know, the birthday that was, you know, previously, um, you know, going to take place uh, later on is now being moved up to today. Um, and this is because they are moving, which again is the, like these two storylines are the kind of the, the two kind of important things, uh, you know, just before we, we obviously get to meet Buzz, um, you know, the party and the moving, um, you know, the, the uh, we've always, you know, we've already heard that obviously they want to make sure that everyone has their moving buddies, um, you know, so that no one gets lost. Um, there is this reference of like no toy left behind, um, which I was like, I don't, know, it, I, I don't know it struck me as a bit of an odd thing that like that's what i mean i you know there is a certain connotations for that um and i mean later on i mean i think it's a few years after this where you have um no child left behind uh in american education so it's like i don't know if they got their inspiration from toy story or uh where that came from but uh yeah that phrase just stood out to me um and like i said the part the party is consisted of mostly uh andy clones um, but obviously the, the toys here are scared that they're going to be replaced um, and that they're going to end up, you know, being uh, in like a, a garage sale or, you know, so they're anticipating like, you know, each arrival has their the gifts and obviously they're taking a look at the size of the parcels. I did look, love that visual gag where they're like, oh, it's only a small one. And then he turns around and it's this gigantic long, I don't know what's in that present. It seems like it's like a, like, I don't know, like a javelin or something. It's like extremely long. <laughs> and I like how all the toys, at first the toys are fine with seeing it from the front and it being small, but just that little kind of turn. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that the film does really well of having like these little visual gags, um, you know, and I think this is one of the things that kind of um, distinguished kind of Pixar ahead of some of the other kind of animated studios is they would put little visual jokes like that in um, whereas some of the others you know the animation let's say was a little bit lacking uh, a couple of years after this when everybody kind of dived into the CGI animation stuff but just that nice little touch of like the toys are fine with this small present and then it turns out it's very very long I don't think we ever find out what that present is to be honest with you um, no I don't no. think they make that one clear yeah, um, but yeah there's a lot of boxes uh, Rex is obviously worried about the fact that there might be another dinosaur toy um, and you know he, he asks if any of the packaging is shaped like a dinosaur and uh, obviously <laughs> Um, you know, it has to be pointed out to him that they're all in boxes. Like, it's, it's not going to be shaped like a dinosaur. Um, but yeah, so and to kind of allay the fears of everybody, um, you know, uh, as the party begins, uh, Woody uh, sends the uh, toy soldiers out uh, on a recon mission. Uh, the sergeant of which is voiced by Arlie Ermy, which is such a great choice. Um, I think because, you know, obviously he has the authority of someone who is in charge of soldiers. Uh, but obviously for adults, it is, you know, an in-joke to the fact that he was in uh, Full Metal Jacket um, in much the same role. So, uh, again, something I think that the Toy Story started doing um, that of other animated films obviously copied is this idea of putting in jokes for adults. Um, and I think that's kind of the first 
explicit one where it's like just casting Arlie Ermey as your sergeant um, of these little plastic soldiers. Um, you know, it's just a kind of a little nod to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like as well how the soldiers and this is something obviously that is, in, you know, enforced with a lot of the other toys uh, because they have those base uh, stuck on their feet. They don't they don't just walk like normal people. They have to like hop. Um, and this is obviously one of the things that they tried to uh, kind of embrace um, when they were doing the animation, which is making the toys move like toys, like restrict them to to you know how they are obviously you know something like the etch-a-sketch it you know it, it it moves in a way that an etch-a-sketch would move if it was being moved by someone's hand because you know there is no natural way for it to move um but with a lot of the other toys you know particularly like ham and mr potato head and stuff like that the way that their characters move is restricted by the fact that they are kind of hard plastic toys um and you know although their limbs and the, you know their faces do kind of move a little bit um it the, like you know they don't kind of betray the movement and i think that's one of the things as well that really sells this film is like that commitment to all those soldiers just hopping like on the little bases mm-hmm. um it really kind of sells it uh yeah i think i think you're right that that's um it's kind of a charming element of this film and one of the things that makes it work it it also like from a technical perspective that's a challenge that they had to deal with because normally you would kind of create like a a walking like, this is what walking is, and the computer would kind of know what walking is, and the characters would basically do walking. And in this, they have to design a bunch of different shapes and sizes and frameworks for that walking structure. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, oh, they really, like, went into the the more difficult challenge of making all these different ways for these toys to move. Some of them are on two legs, some of them are on four legs. You have the Etch-A-Sketch, which isn't even walking, but like, how would an Etch-A-Sketch walk? Um, and I think that's that's a point in favor of this movie and, and the development and the creativity that they're putting into it. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, as the as the toys are opened, the the soldiers are letting the toys know what these are. So, you know, they include a... Uh, um, what's the first toy it's a it's a lunchbox so you know obviously there's there's things that aren't toys that are being given as presents um uh but at at the crucial moment when they when the the kind of the big toy is opened uh the batteries uh come out of the uh walkie-talkie and so they don't know what that toy is all the all the kids run up to the uh to the bedroom and the toy is obviously uh, freeze when the when the kids get there and they resume their positions um and after they they leave uh which is seconds later they don't really play for very long in the bedroom they're in there for a few seconds um just long enough to drop off the one present and then they all go down to get some food um the toys then finally meet uh buzz lightyear um took us 15 minutes but we get to buzz lightyear uh, and obviously when buzz was put on the bed as well woody was knocked off and you know being under the bed is seen as some kind of bad thing with these toys <laughs> so when he comes out from under the bed you know slinky is like you know what are you doing under the bed and uh, i i like that they they kind of have this you know the diff like they they see the way that the andy interacts with various toys and they know that you know if they're put in a certain place then that's not a good thing and obviously being knocked off the bed you know is you know spells doom for woody um and we get the introduction of Buzz Lightyear, which I think is that I mean that is a great name, Buzz Lightyear. It obviously evokes, um, you know, other kind of science fiction names, um, and it is voiced by Tim Allen, who in real life is not a very nice person, um, but uh, I think he does a very good job of playing uh, 
like this first kind of Buzz Lightyear, because obviously later on in the film he will change a little bit. But this Buzz Lightyear who is kind of deluded into thinking that he really is, um, you know, a space ranger and he is there to rescue the universe and his laser does shoot. And, you know, all all the stuff that kind of sold this film, the kind of the delusion of Buzz um, is really the biggest selling point, you know, for kind of like the next hour. That is that is what the film kind of hinges on is how deluded he is. Um, and, you know, apparently they approached um, uh, Billy Crystal to play this role. And Billy Crystal was like, um, no, thank you very much, and turned them down. And then, obviously, once Toy Story was a gigantic hit, um, they went to Billy Crystal because they were in production, you know, for obviously a few films. And he was like, whatever you've got, let me like, let me do whatever, whatever the next role is, just let me have it. Um, and obviously, that is how he ended up becoming Mike Wazowski in uh, Monsters, Inc. Um, is- I genuinely can't imagine Billy Crystal as Buzz Lightyear. No. I like I can't picture like that's got to be a very different characterization. <laughs> it's different delivery. I'm like I don't see what that performance would you don't, would you don't be. See a, a space ranger who thinks I, I I love Billy Crystal and and like he's great in Monsters Inc. and that is perfect yeah. for that works so well. Yeah, yeah, and so it's really hard for me to try and like transpose and like what does Billy Crystal as Buzz Lightyear sound like act like what is that performance and i can't really picture it at all and i think like this is probably my favorite tim allen performance that i've out of anything that i've seen and this is probably when he was most popular with with home improvement Mm -hmm. um and the santa claus was near the same time um yeah so this was probably the, the height of tim allen's career and so it makes sense that they would um choose to go with him but i think like i think it really is like my favorite performance it's maybe the least tim allen performance like it's the the most character that he has to play yeah all the other stuff is like yeah he's pretty much like always the same thing and this is the most different thing that i can think of him playing yeah i mean like in some of his other films he is basically just tim allen but but calling himself a different name and then obviously you know he's sent he's yeah. santa but he's also wisecracking as tim allen <laughs> like you know he's yeah it's like okay but this is just tim allen and, yeah. and with this one it's like no like there's like acting and character and like a lot of um, like emotional notes in this that i think even in something where it's like a family drama like the santa claus i'm like i don't know if he has like the emotional like broadness that he has in this where there's like devastation there's being satisfied with something there's being excited there's being cocky there's being uh, humiliated and i think a big part of that is because he was restricted by just having his voice he's not acting with his whole body mm-hmm. for a for a, a camera and so he has to think about oh i'm a toy uh <laughs> it's my voice i'm a toy yeah they're animating to my voice mm-hmm. uh, instead of oh i'm this character but the character's me as well and so i think that's why buzz lightyear doesn't seem very tim allen-esque i think the same is true for for tom hanks as woody like it, that's not the most Tom Hanks character um, yeah. that that we've seen. And so it's like, oh, yeah, like this is a performance. And he's really doing like a pretty good performance. Like these are solid voice acting performances, which is not what you get every time you have a typical, you know, live action actor providing vocal performance. They don't always deliver to the degree that that I think Tom Hanks and Tim Allen do for yeah. this movie. And I don't think that's that would be the same for every voice actor. I don't think every voice actor is different uh, when they're live action performing mm-hmm. versus when they're voice acting. But I think that really is a difference between with, with Tim Allen and, and Tom Hanks. Yeah. 
And um, they it's funny because they did actually do some animation for Buzz using some dialogue from When Harry Met Sally with Billy Crystal. Um, obviously to try and sell the role to him in the same way they did, they did with Tom Hanks. Um, obviously that didn't work out. Um, when when uh, normally when doing, uh, you know, animation voiceover, most of the actors will generally just record their lines by themselves. But for most Pixar stuff, they, you know, starting with this, um, you know, they had both Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in the same studio uh, when they were recording the lines, when they when they interact, you know, particularly in this scene. Um, and, you know, that way they could kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of more closely act off each other and, and kind of give more realistic reactions and better line readings and stuff. Um, that is something obviously that continued on, you know, for all the subsequent Toy Story sequels, you know, they would have large recording sessions where they had like whole casts in sing in, in a room so that they could, um, you know, animate the scenes uh, kind of more to the you know, natural flow of the dialogue, um, which again, something that kind of works in Pixar's favor is the fact that they go to the trouble of doing that. Whereas obviously a lot of other studios, it's just, you know, a person in a booth by themselves for two hours just saying their lines one after the other. I have just realized that I want to amend my statement. Um, Tim Allen in Galaxy Quest, also not like his typical Tim Allen role. Yeah. It's kind of the inverse of Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Instead of someone who's convinced that they're something they're not, it's someone who's pretending to be something yeah. that they're not. Um, and he, he knows in that case. But um, so yeah, something Tim Allen playing space characters is my favorite Tim Allen. Yeah. That's obviously that's obviously what he needs to do more of. I know for many years they were trying to make a Galaxy Quest sequel. Obviously, um, I don't think that was ever successful because Galaxy Quest did not make any money. Although I saw it at the cinema, so you know I supported it as much as I could. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, similar to the general toy introduction, I think it's just great character work. I I agree that <laughs> it's hard, it, but. Billy Crystal would have created a very different character, which also I could see being fun, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like the Buzz Lightyear that we know and love today. Um, and now, obviously, um, in in kind of uh, the children bringing the Buzz Lightyear box up, which is shaped like a spaceship, so obviously you know someone thought ahead there. Um, uh, the one side of it has been damaged, and Buzz uh, thinks that he is an actual space ranger. That is obviously the most important part of this film. Uh, he does not realize he's a toy. And so when Woody comes up on the bed, onto the bed, he uh, shoots his laser at him. But obviously it's just a light. And I like how, uh, you know, the light follows Woody around as he's kind of talking. And he's still got it pointed like straight. Buzz is still pointing it right at his head. So if that were an actual laser, he would have basically shot Woody's head off just for him saying hello. Um, mm -hmm. There was a fantastic shot when we see the inside of um, Buzz's helmet, and it has his face reflected on it, and it's that is very good. Yeah, like you know, like like it, you know, the one the one thing that they did really well in this film um, was reflections, and you know, the kind of hard plastic um, shininess. So yeah, that's like it's everything else is still pretty good, but. You know, those are the things that they were kind of concentrating on on gaining exactly right. And I think that shot from inside the helmet just shows it perfectly. Um, and, you know, Buzz basically kind of, uh, you know, he all the toys come out of, up onto the bed, uh, which, you know, Woody is kind of a little bit disturbed because that is his spot, obviously. <laughs> and so um, this starts the rivalry between the two of them. Um, you know, Buzz presses his little button that makes uh, his, his voice uh, play. 
And there's some commentary that uh, Woody has like a pull string that sounds like, you know, really old and, you know, it's not the best technology. And, you know, I like how all the toys are like instantly kind of taken by how new Buzz is. And, you know, the fact that he has, you know, I, you know, he pops out his little wings and the, the, they have the like kind of the lights on the end. And, uh, you know, there's a, 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 you know, kind of talk, obviously, about the size of his wings. And, uh, you know, we like here we get kind of like the most deluded that Buzz is where he thinks he can fly. Um, and it's such an like I don't like watching it again. I was like, this is it is really like an amazing sequence. How they set it up with Buzz kind of just jumping off, um, you know, bouncing off the, the ball, uh, uh, landing on, you know, the the table falling from there onto the the car track you know flying off the end of the car track and getting caught on the the little kind of plane that's on the roof um on the ceiling should i say and then kind of spinning around and then like falling off there and landing onto the bed um and obviously impressing all the toys um but i was just impressed by just like the different kind of camera angles that they use and everything to kind of convey this flight there's a little bit of like first person stuff when they you know they jump they jump to uh they jump to buzz and then when when he's on the the you know the plane that's going around we kind of get the the front view of him in the air and i don't know it's just a a, a nice little sequence obviously this is a setup <clears throat> i should say uh, there's nothing in toy story that does not like everything is set up and paid off pretty like the first half of this film is just a lot of kind of subtle setups and then towards the end of the film we'll get a lot of payoffs in particular that um woody says that, that it was not flying uh it was falling with style and obviously that will come back later and i you know i just love that this is this is setting up exactly how deluded buzz is you know he feels like he's got to fix his spacecraft he uses his little you know um readout on his arm to get readings that he's not getting any readings for he, he's just kind of you know when questioned about who he is he just basically reads what's on the side of the box um which is done really well because obviously you know woody turns his head and sees that you know what he's saying is exactly what's in the box and we kind of get this little angle as the camera kind of turns over so woody can read it um and yeah and obviously this is also the first mention of zerg um you know so that's being set up for a, a film later on <laughs> so uh but yeah i don't know i just love this introduction of buzz and his delusion it's like extremely economical in terms of like you know how kind of he like everything he does as well is like it's not to make um you know uh woody jealous but obviously it just is um you know like with everything he does like woody just gradually becomes more and more jealous um and this was something they had an issue with in the earlier version of the film where woody basically just became vindictive and hateful and they kind of dialed it back just a little bit so he's he's just uh, you know kind of uh disturbed a little bit by what's going on here uh yeah like he has obvious insecurity because he's never been challenged in this way yeah and i it makes me buzz being like oh this is real life. It's I'm not just a toy, and all the other toys being like, okay, like, what, what, you're, you're are, you, are you just acting, or, or, or do you really think you're a toy? But they're not like really thinking about it. I'm like, so do but Buzz a is lot a of, method actor. <laughs> do all toys think this when they first come out of the box, or do they, or is it just a Buzz thing? And I think it's probably it's just a Buzz thing. It's the only one we ever see with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously, if this was like a common thing for all toys, then, you know, there would be some kind of procedure where they would basically, um, you know, kind of let them down and, let, and kind of kind of orient them into the world of being a toy. 
Um, but yeah, there is a there is a there is a kind of weird kind of uh, I don't know if you call it a plot hole, but uh, you know, obviously when children or adults are around Buzz, he still goes limp like all the other toys, and he still mm-hmm. freezes. And apparently, there was a lot of discussion amongst the kind of the writers of the film about whether or not they should try and figure out to address why Buzz this why Buzz does this. And in the end, they said it's not worth it. No one cares, <laughs> so they just they just yeah. they just have him do it because all the other toys do it, and you know that's it. Like you know, later on when he gets taken out the claw machine, he like he does the same thing. Like he he just becomes a toy, um, you know, when around other 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 people. So it's just something that he just does. But yeah, uh, it seems like this is just a buzz thing, and you know maybe that's like because that's what his character is. Um, you know, outside the confines of being a toy, you know, like he's, you know, he's this space ranger who's meant to save the world or save the universe. And so it's just kind of part of his character um, that, you know, he just does think that he's real. And I think that that holds true as it like moves into the next sequence with the, with the montage and the song. And as like, it becomes evident that buzz is becoming more and more popular with Andy like this does and like we see it it doesn't have any impact on buzz right he it holds true he's like no i'm just a space ranger doing my thing it doesn't matter that i'm being played with the most or that i'm obviously being valued there's giant posters of me like that does not have an impact on buzz even though it has a huge impact on woody and so buzz's delusion like does hold true pretty consistently for like two-thirds of the film um you know, even as there's like definite evidence where you could have a version of Buzz where he's kind of enjoying the attention, but we never get that. He like he doesn't enjoy the attention. He's just deluded. Yeah, and and also he just he just thinks he's got to repair his spacecraft so that he can, um, you know, get back to wherever he's got to get back to. <laughs> and so that that's his only focus, um, which is obviously done in the sequence with um, Strange Things. I think is the song that plays by Randy Newman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strangest thing of all being that we've been told that they're going to move very soon. So why is Andy going to the trouble of taking down all these posters of Woody and, and then putting up other posters? <laughs> it seems like he's just doing that to mess with Woody, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> you know, like just psychological torture. Uh, even like the kind of the cork board, he's like just putting stuff up that's just all about uh, Buzz and, and take just covering up the stuff about Woody. Uh, that's a that's a fair point because they they move. I don't know, like a week later. It's not. It's not months. No. This montage definitely makes it seem like it's been months because, like, unless Andy absolutely got all of this, all these posters I, and the I bed, think the implication is supposed to be that it's, stuff for, it's, for it was his, all his. It was all the birthday for for his birthday. And so this is like the weekend. But it changed still, over the sheets. Yeah, and the but it still seems like it. It happened over a long period of time, but you know that it doesn't because. They're they're talking about the move happening really soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, it's just a little nitpick, but yeah, like the, it's a weird sequence because obviously it's there to reinforce the insecurities of Woody and to show how popular Buzz is becoming. But yeah, it feels it feels like it's taking place over over the course of months when in fact they're moving in a few days. So you know, yeah. So it's it's probably like the birthday party was on Friday. Yeah, and then most of the rest of the movie is like maybe the next weekend. So it's probably the course of, of like a week because it wouldn't have taken Andy a long time to write his name on Buzz's foot <laughs> yeah, or anything. That's like the one thing that he shows pride in. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, he and I like as well how he's like because of his delusion, he's like your leader has marked me. It's just like a really weird way of phrasing it, but uh, yeah, I I mean, I I like as well how obviously we see that Woody is being sidelined, um, and we get this wonderful moment where Woody's in like the toy chest and he pops his head out and he's like, "Where's my hat?" And then the shark pops up and he's got it on his hat and he goes, "Howdy, howdy, howdy, I'm Woody," and it's just. I love that shark. <laughs> like, he's just Mr. Shark, but he just, he has the hat on, and he does that little bit. And I also love Tom Hanks's performance of the reaction, where he's like, aha, that's so fun. Give me that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, like, that's, this might be my favorite, like, exchange and sequence in the whole movie. It's really <laughs> great. the howdy, 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 and then Tom Hanks's sarcastic laughter. laughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, I mean, this is, we're now getting into the point where things are going to take a turn. Um, you know, Woody, in an attempt to kind of shake Buzz out of his delusion, he opens up his helmet. Um, and obviously, <laughs> we get we get a wonderful, I mean, it's such, a, what I love about it is just the, the timing on the animation is so well done where he thinks he's suffocating. And so he kind of drops to his knees and he's grabbing his throat. And then, you know, eventually he kind of realizes that the air isn't toxic and he kind of just stands back up. And it just it's just so perfectly done so that, like, you get that Woody, uh, sorry, Buzz is like reacting in a way that you would expect someone who, if they thought the air really was toxic, that's how they, they act. But I don't know. It's just it, the, the way it plays into his delusion is really good. But I also like how he gets mad because he's like, you know, you should never open a Space Ranger's helmet and stuff. But I, to be honest, I don't know why he hasn't at least like tried opening his helmet or somebody else hasn't opened his helmet before this moment because he can see that all the other toys don't aren't wearing helmets. Yeah. So everyone else is fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's just because he's, he is so deluded, um, that, that like he, he kind of, you know, just kind of has never thought to open his helmet. He does refer to Rex as, um, lizard man. Um, and he calls Slinky stretchy dog. Uh, so, so he's not learning their names. Um, oh, what does he call ham? He calls ham something too. The, I, oh, I can't remember what no. they all are. Uh, yeah, but he just seems to just come up. He doesn't. He's not learning their names. He's just giving them nicknames. Um, and when he's repairing his spaceship as well, you know, like he's 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 using technical terms, and they're just like, oh, he wants some more like sticky tape. <laughs> like they're kind of allowing mm-hmm. him to say things and act in a certain way, but then you know they're not fully indulging that. Um, you know, although I I feel that like Ham and Mister Potato Head are kind of indulging Buzz a little bit just to wind Woody up because. <laughs> That you know, out of out of all the toys, Ham and Potato Head are the ones who are like, okay, well, Woody's the big shot, so we're gonna try and take him down a peg. Yeah, uh, and so they lean into it, but like, like Rex is definitely not leaning into it, and I don't think Slinky is leaning into that. No, no. Um, but but Potato Head and Ham kind of have some malicious intent, <laughs> and I think at some point, all the toys, if if Buzz had kept being. Buzz Lightyear that we see at the beginning of the film, the, all the toys would be like, okay, when, when this is, is getting old. This is getting old. When is he actually going to be a, a toy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, now this is obviously where uh, kind of uh, Woody's extremely competitive side comes out as he, he I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, Andy is going to go to Pizza Planet. He's going to be allowed to take one toy. And obviously Woody sees this as an opportunity to put himself back into Andy's life. Um, and he tries to trick Woody to kind of fall off the back of the desk, I think is his intention. Um, yeah, he wants him to fall behind the desk so that he'll 
be trapped there and stuck there until the move, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But obviously this goes completely awry because um, <laughs> Woody decides to use uh, the remote control car, known to everyone as RC, uh, to get things moving along. And he tries to hit Buzz. He's not successful, but he hits uh, the corkboard. Uh, again, a great little sequence as all the kind of uh, pushpins fall off and kind of land around Buzz. Um, mm-hmm. And then completely by accident, uh, the lamp, ac- you know, kind of knocks Buzz out of the window. Um, and then immediately, R.C. Uh, does not keep his silence. Uh, he he <laughs> imitates Lassie and he tells the other toys what has happened. Um, and they all start... What I like is how immediately they all gang up on him and, like, you know, the kind of all the soldiers take over him. And, I mean, at one point, Etch-a-Sketch draws a... Well, I don't know if Etch-a-Sketch draws it or if... Um, is it Potato Head? I think draw... He, Etch-a-Sketch is next to Potato Head yeah. and he's, like, silently sending a message. And so, it, like, it seems like Etch-a-Sketch is maybe drawing it at the behest of Potato Head. But, like, Etch-a-Sketch is... is he he's joined the mob at this point when he draws the news. <laughs> yeah, uh, which and, and it's like so like he it's so kind of like like the look on Woody's face when it comes back from the etch sketch with the noose drawn on it. Like it, <laughs> uh, like it's uh, like I like that. Um, I think it's is it Ham that says like um, stringing up string him up by his pull string. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. like immediately they're gonna seek revenge. Um. Like this, it, it got a little out of hand. Well, yeah, it escalated very quickly. Fortunately, Andy comes in. Uh, he's looking for Buzz. He can't find him, so he reluctantly takes Woody, uh, which obviously pleases Woody, but it gets Woody out of danger as well. Um, and while out of the window, Buzz sees the car leaving. He sees Woody is there, so obviously he, he runs and jumps onto the bumper of the car. Um, I like that the rest of the toys are trying to rescue Buzz, um, and the only thing they have is a barrel of monkeys, and so they they kind of use that. But the monkeys, there's not enough monkeys. Basically, they only get like a few inches outside the window. Um, and mm-hmm. Rex is then kind of like shouting down that you know, explaining that they're going to come up with like a, a new kind of like rescue um, idea, uh, which is not necessary because Buzz has kind of already rescued himself. You know, he's on the he's on the car, um, he's going with uh, with Woody. It would have been more effective if he had tried to get back inside the house. Yes. He got himself into trouble by following Woody. Well, yes, this is it. Like, you know, uh, again, I think that has something to do with, like, his arrogance. Like, rather than going back to Andy's room, <laughs> he sees he sees Woody and Andy and he decides to follow them because, you know, at this point he still believes he's a space ranger. So, um, yeah. And then we get, I mean, what I would say as well is, you know, obviously when it comes to animation... Uh, you know, there's a reason why a lot of animated things stick within a couple of locations, because if you have to animate a new location, that's a lot of work. And they put a lot of work into, you know, animating this kind of gas station, the Dynaco gas station with the the big kind of truck and everything. It's, a, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's a great sequence. Like, um, you know, obviously Andy gets out um, with his mom because they're, you know, putting gas in. Uh, again, uh, th- this feels a little weird because, like, as a kid, I would rather stay in the car and let the adults deal with putting uh, what we call, call petrol into a car, uh, but obviously Americans call it gas. Uh, but apparently Andy is excited to take part in this activity, so he leaves Woody alone um, in the car. And It's just an excuse to get him out of the well, car. Well, yeah. <laughs> they just need to get Woody alone. I, uh, also, did they take Molly out of the car, or is she still in the car? I mean, I think she's got to still be in there. Well, she's in the front seat. I yeah, think, yeah. Which is sketchy. That makes the time frame confusing, because you don't know if it's 
You shouldn't be able to do that in the 90s. Or or if it's earlier. But but yeah, if she's still in the car, then she's hearing the toys talk. (laughs) No, but Woody jumps out of the car pretty quickly, doesn't he? Or do they have... How much conversation do they have? Not very much, but... Yeah, he's... But he says, oh, Buzz, you're here. Yeah, he spots Buzz and then they they, they end up getting out of the car, um, which feels like that's not really a thing that you should be doing if you're toys, like, stay in the car. Um, And then we get, I think, the moment that, of course, a lot of people remember from this film. And I think even people who haven't seen this film know this moment, which, of course, is Tom Hanks at the top of his voice, yelling as clearly as he possibly can to Buzz, you are a toy. (laughs) Um... And I, you know, this is why you get Tom Hanks. Uh, you know, if if, if all, all you've got is his voice, you want Tom Hanks so you can get some high quality yelling, um, and it's just a a great kind of line. And then obviously uh, Tim Allen replies with "You are a, a sad little man," and it's like, uh, I mean, I guess yeah, <laughs> but but I don't think you're hearing what Woody is saying, Buzz, which is that you're a toy. Um, you know, you're kind of in danger by putting yourself out here amongst you know the various kind of trucks. Um, you know, and obviously thinking that he, you know, he can kind of evade, you know, these kind of like eighteen wheelers that are pulling into this petrol station. Um, yeah, it's the it's the kind of height of arrogance from Buzz. Uh, uh, but I like I like as well how obviously we get the the Pizza Planet, um, you know, plug in here. Something that obviously will reoccur in many of the Pixar films after this point. Um, and they. To follow Andy, they get it. They get into the Pizza Planet truck, and knowing that obviously it's going to the same location uh, that Andy and his mother are going to, uh, and so they arrive there. And I like this is obviously something that will be expanded upon in Toy Story Two: the toys hiding under objects and using those to walk in plain sight. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and also like just the like just the um, I mean just a fantastic touch when obviously. Um, you know when Woody yells at Buzz again and he's in like a you know a, a cup and the cup leans over to yell at, at you know it's I don't know it's just amazing animation like to and it jabs the straw yeah. down and then Buzz opens up his like burger clamshell container to talk back to him <laughs> yeah uh, just such a wonderful piece of animation because like not only do we have the toys you know being at like you know literally being animated when they come to life but also now we have these kind of other inanimate objects that are being used, um, you know, to to kind of um, to kind of hide the toys. Um, yeah, they're 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 doing puppetry. Yeah, it's, I mean it's great. Like it's le- I mean it's such so so well done. And like you know, this is like the first ever like full length CGI film, and this is what they're doing. And it's uh, I don't know. It's 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 always. I mean, even though you know animation has gotten better and better over the last I don't know like uh, twenty six years. Um, it's still kind of amazing to look back at this and think like, you know, the amount of detail that they're putting into uh, the animation. Um, Yeah. And so once they they finally kind of catch up with Andy, although, you know, uh, you know, Andy doesn't know that the toys are kind of following him into Pizza Planet. And then we see Sid. Now, we saw Sid earlier. Um, You know, he lives next door to Andy. Um, obviously I didn't want to get too much into it back then because you know this is his kind of proper introduction this is where he starts kind of interacting with the toys he's playing like a -a whack-a-mole thing but he's standing on top of the actual game and just he's kind of he's not a good kid yeah I mean I don't know if he's not a good I mean you know I feel like since this film came out there's been some debate over you know uh, about Sid's character but I I think he's just you know he much like Andy he has a very active imagination uh, but he just you know funnels it in a different direction 
than Andy does, you know. Yes, there's there's a chaotic, destructive energy <laughs> to it. Yeah. Um, you know. At, at the expense of his toys and his backyard and, <laughs> and his sister's toys as well. The arcade environment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I, th- he, he's not, he's not a rule follower. No. And and I would say this, it, obviously he doesn't know that the toys are sentient when he's not around. <laughs> like, Oh, definitely not. You know, they're just, they're just, they're just bits of plastic and whatever. And so, you know, he just wants to use his imagination to combine them in many different ways. Um, so yeah, he, through complete coincidence, um, you know, a Buzz and Woody end up inside a claw machine, which is filled with many three eye aliens, um, all of whom are, love the claw and are brainwashed into loving the claw and stare up at the claw lovingly. Uh, oh, so the, the the aliens don't really understand that they're toys either. They're in the Buzz Lightyear territory. So there's something about space toys. Space toys. Yeah. Mm. Um but what I what I think is funny is I mean like this this whole thing with the 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 claw and the aliens and stuff was actually a late addition. They they had most of the film done and then they added this scene in uh, to kind of help um, get them to Sid's house because uh, they you know they kind of they felt they hadn't really nailed uh, kind of how they managed to get to Sid's house. Um, but yeah, so when obviously you know Sid comes and plays the claw, and uh, my experience of playing claw machines is you don't win anything ever, so. I've, I've won several things. Oh, right. We've had so, some good experiences. Okay. Sometimes you got to commit to it. You don't you don't put in two quarters yeah. and get three prizes. <laughs> no. But so Sid had maybe the best experience with a claw machine anyone's ever had. But I've I've had a couple of good rounds. And then there was one time when Kester was pregnant with our um, first child where we really committed to a giant claw machine. At, huge um, claw machine. Like like it it's. I don't know, maybe like six feet by six feet box. And it's filled with like two foot tall stuffed animals. So it is the biggest claw machine I've ever seen. Um, But we wanted to get something for our not yet born daughter. um, And and she has since been born. But so we really committed to it. And we probably put 20 bucks into it. (laughs) But we actually did get double prizes out of that one. We We ended up getting a giant giraffe and a giant pig. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. And so it turned out to be really satisfying and probably worth the the twenty dollars. <laughs> um, but we like we were all in on that one. It was like, no, like we, we are spent, getting. This, we spent a long time. At we that are getting this giraffe, get and yeah. um, but we got the double prizes, so it does happen because he wins an alien, and then he puts another quarter in, and he he sees that Buzz Lightyear's in there. Um, and so he wins Buzz, and I like the sequence where Woody's trying to get out, and he figures out how to get out, like, the little kind of slot at the back, and then as, as like, Buzz is being pulled up, he, like, holds on, um, and I think he would have beaten Sid in terms of, I mean, I don't know how strong these toys are, it's obviously something that's always a bit of an issue in these films, but I think he probably would have managed to get Buzz out of that claw, because I don't think the grip is particularly strong, um, but... I mean, I mean... Especially on the helmet this. that is... Plastic yeah. and slick. Yeah, it yeah. should it should not have been able to hold on the way it did. I could see why the the aliens are able to be grabbed out uh, a little bit easier, but Buzz, especially when Woody is holding on to his ankle, and so there's that extra weight. It just nope. Yeah, uh, and of course he's hindered by the fact that all the aliens push. <laughs> like they they decide that someone's been picked by the claw, and so that's a good thing. And so they start to kind of swarm Woody, and he he kind of has to give in and allow himself to also be one. Um, but obviously, because he knows who Sid is, you know this is this is to him this is obviously an advantage because he knows that he'll be next door from Andy's, and they, you know they'll be able to get home to Andy pretty quickly. Um, so you know he's seen that as a, a good thing. Obviously, 
uh, you know, we will find out that uh, that it's not a good thing to go to Sid's house. Um, you know, and when Sid gets home, you know, the first thing that he does is he takes out the alien and he gives it to his dog as a dog toy. And obviously the dog toy, I think the dog kind of basically destroys the alien toy, doesn't he? Um, he, he you you see it later. It yeah. You see it at, near the very end. He comes out from underneath the, the dog bowl. But Significantly he damaged. does look pretty damaged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this is I mean obviously the, I think the toys the toys in Andy's room are still kind of thinking that they can rescue Buzz not realising where he is um, but you know Woody and Buzz now are in SIDS and this is where you know the majority of the rest of the film will happen um, is is in here where um, you know obviously uh, you know we find out that Sid basically likes to uh, destroy stuff uh, he has his dog Scud who you know, kind of also likes to destroy the toys and kind of chew stuff. Um, and we see on television at this point, this is where we kind of almost, we get the start of kind of Buzz realizing what he is, where, you know, we see a toy advert voiced by Penn Jillette, uh, which uh, I guess in 1995, that's more of an obvious choice. Uh, you know, but I never realized that. Did you not? Oh, I think I ca- I'd never realized that was that was Pendulum. Yeah, he I mean he does kind of like a TV commercial type of voice like he but you can kind of mm-hmm. tell if you listen closely that's definitely Pendulum. Ah, oh, I the next time I'm watching it I'll pay attention yeah. to that. Um, um and it's an advert for I've got to say this is another time where they do a good reflection on Buzz's helmet. It, oh yeah. They use the TV reflecting into his helmet. Yeah. Uh he sees an advert for Buzz Lightyear's uh showing that they are indeed toys and he is, you know, kind of um, I don't know. He like he still isn't completely fully like understanding that he's a, he's a toy, um, and you know he tries to escape, um, but obviously his arm comes off. Um, yeah, he cannot fly, and he has to deal <laughs> with this fact. Yeah, and I I like how uh, like you say this is you know probably one of Tim Allen's better performances where the character kind of gradually becomes more and more despondent while he's at Sid's house. And it's kind of up to Woody to kind of try and encourage him um, and, and, you know, try and, you know, make it clear to him that basically Andy's house is next door and they can get back to Andy. um, But they've got to kind of work together, um, you know, and Woody attempts to kind of, you know, uh, get help from the toys next door. But obviously the toys in Andy's room now, they see they see that um, Woody is a traitor who tried to, you know, get rid of Buzz and, you know, they don't want to talk to him. Um, so, you know, he's not going to get any cooperation from them. Um, and, and Buzz is at this point really given up. This is a, a, a deep well of depression. And so he won't help Woody out with this either. Yeah. And I, I like as well how, like, obviously, you know, Woody has been trying to make Buzz realize that he's a toy and that would be to his advantage when they're in Andy's room. But now they're not in Andy's room, having him realize that he's a toy is going to, you know, be an extremely big detriment to them actually managing to get out of here. Um, Because at this point, yeah, like, Buzz kind of has a whole, like, what's the point? Yes, yeah. Um, And, you know, Sid, you know, has decided... I mean, the kind of the toys that are in Sid's house, obviously they're all kind of um, mishmashes of, um, you know, toys that he owns with heads from his sister's toys. And, you know, uh, there's like a, a kind of Meccano spider um that has like Mm -hmm. a baby's head on it and stuff and so there's like a you know again uh, you know for a child this is this is a healthy use of his imagination he's you know taking 
you know, toys that are, you know, sold to all the other kids. And he's deciding to... It's not a healthy use of his sister's property. No. But it, it is effective imagination. Yeah. Yes. You know, I feel like people criticize Sid because he's, you know, uh, going to blow up Buzz Lightyear. But, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, as a kid, like, you know, if he wants to blow up toys, then, you know, that's what kids can do. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we, like, I what I like is, is how all the toys that are in Sid's room are extremely terrifying like that is that is the basic like whatever sid has done to any of these toys they they're they're terrifying and obviously woody and buzz are kind of terrified of the toys um but they end up like repairing uh buzz um you know so you know that's like that's kind of nice that they do that um you know we find out that obviously even though they look terrifying because of how sid has you know what sid has done to them uh, they're actually, you know, they're like they're toys like all the other toys, you know, like the toys in Andy's room. They're all very cooperative and helpful and everything, um, you know, just because of the way they look. You know, that's I feel like, uh, you know, Woody and Buzz jump to kind of judgment um, when, you know, they could, uh, you know, really they could, you know, they could like just help them out. Um, now, Sid's sister, Hannah, um, she, uh, you know, she basically she ends up saving woody because uh, sorry buzz because uh buzz is gonna you know gonna have a large rocket strapped to him by sid um and the next morning uh sid is gonna explode uh explode uh buzz um you know uh hannah ends up playing with buzz and invites him to a tea party uh, and what I like here is like the tea party is obviously you know Hannah's toys and they're all headless <laughs> and and so they're kind of terrifying in their own way. Um, uh, and when when Woody comes to rescue Buzz from this tea party, um, you know he's he as you say he's still despondent and you know he's like one day you're a space ranger the next day you're sitting sitting around drinking Darjeeling. Um, which I like that, that you know, Woody, uh, sorry, Buzz has, like, fully kind of invested in the fantasy of the tea party. Like, um, you know, again. Yeah, he, he kind of goes all in. He's like, no, I'm not Buzz Lightyear. I am Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> like, he's he's committing to the character that has been assigned to him. Yeah. Which, which again, is something that the toys in Andy's room do as well. Uh, I mean, this is more in later films. You know, when Andy plays with them and gives them, you know, a particular name... Um, and also later on, Bonnie as well. When Bonnie assigns, you know, these 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 toys a specific character, um, you know, even when she's not playing with them, they will they will do a little bit of inhabiting that character. Um, so I like that we're getting the seeds of that here, where you know, um, Buzz is kind of decided that he is now part of this tea party, um, and he doesn't want to escape. Uh, and you know. Uh, like I, I don't know. I just kind of I kind of love how he goes from being completely delusional to embracing being a toy and just kind of taking part in whatever the child wants to happen. Um, but then, um, before before is it ultimately like Buzz is going to end up with the with the rocket and he's going to be on the launch pad and everything. But the night before that is when Woody and when, when Tom Hanks gets to do like his actual like kind of deeper emotional speech, his quieter speech for the movie yeah and make it clear that's like hey buzz like you're not a space ranger you're a toy but that's that doesn't mean you don't have value right you're, you're really not, cool toy yeah you're not what <laughs> yeah. you thought you were but that's like being something other than what you thought you were doesn't mean that you don't have value you're important to andy and yeah. andy misses you like you can do a lot as a toy and i think that's like a fairly good 
message is like what you think you are isn't necessarily what you are to everybody and it's important to like mean something to somebody not just yourself yeah and it definitely also helps woody admit that yeah out loud he is jealous he he is jealous and he's like how how is a cowboy that doesn't have anything except a pull string supposed to compete, compete with, buzz lightyear. with buzz lightyear like but, i'm jealous but like i'm still i'm still a toy and i know that andy still loves me and and that's his like realization is like what's the whole point it's like okay toys are like try like the function of toys is is for kids to play with them and for the kids to be happy and yeah. and woody had lost sight of that as well so it's like he's pointing something out so that buzz can realize something but he's also learning something for himself and like coming to grips with it exactly yeah and he had said earlier in the film obviously you know when telling the other toys not to be nervous about the you know the the birthday um that obviously you know they're there to be played with by andy for as long as he wants and obviously the choice is for andy to stop playing with them like the toys can't keep forcing themselves to be played with by andy um and so yeah it is nice that kind of like he kind of you know this is not like the opposite of that speech but it's kind of more affirmative of like you know just because you're a toy that doesn't mean um that you're not nothing you know you have a purpose and that purpose is for children to play with you um but then we find out the next morning the moving van is there <laughs> and so uh we have a the clock is yeah ticking. we have a ticking clock all of a sudden you know they were gonna move uh but we had a nice montage about you know a kid changing some posters in his room whatever but now we've we're now the urgent thing is is happening you know we've been told about this move all all the time um and you know we we kind of see that the van is there um, and obviously this is where Woody and Buzz, you know, they managed to escape uh, via a series of, I, I mean, is this with the, the Binford, is, is this where they make the reference to um, home improvement, isn't it, with the, the Binford tools? Um, and the, yeah, yeah, so there's like, they they try to get out with the tools, Sid's going to strap Buzz to the to the launch pad, which is a dartboard with a stick. <laughs> um, but he's going to launch him on the rocket. And then, so Woody's got to figure out how to use the toys that are available to get out of the house and, and get away from Sid. Yeah. Um, and they come up with this plan, uh, obviously, where Woody has all the toys that Sid has mutilated and destroyed um, come alive in front of Sid. And terrify him, basically, <laughs> and make it clear that, you know, if he does anything else to toys, then the toys will come and get him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously, this, uh, this you know, must traumatize Sid for at least a few weeks or, or so um, as all these toys approach. And what I like about this is, like, the kind of, um, you know, it kind of, uh, for a moment, it kind of turns into a bit of a horror film where all these toys are kind of coming out of mm-hmm. the ground and turning their heads slowly. And, you know, kind of the warning to Sid... Uh, just before he kind of like runs off screaming, um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's really well coordinated. And also we get a little bit of the, like, as some of the toys come out of the ground, we get a little bit of the kind of um, uh, the sand animation and the kind of particle animation that they've got going on here, which is kind of mm-hmm. rudimentary, well, but it's the, still really the, well done, I think. And I think there's, like, they're basically doing an exorcist reference because Woody, like, spins his head all the way around. And <laughs> and so, the, yeah, like, they're definitely doing a, a little bit of a, a horror motif and especially because it starts off with with woody uh just talking talking on its own through, just a, a, talk, a toy that's yeah, talking on its own a talk, toy yeah. that's talking on its own even though it's it's definitely woody because it's, it's saying phrases that aren't on his pull string and then suddenly he comes to 
to, to life. life. And, and it like, that's, that's what really like throws Sid off the edge and be like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Gotta, gotta go. I feel pretty bad for him. I'm kind of a Sid <laughs> defender. I, he he definitely needs to rein it in, but he's uh, such a creative kid. And yeah, as we said, it, it he doesn't know the toys are sentient. Why shouldn't he like make his weird little creations out of them? Yeah, I mean, so you know, just let's yeah. Sit, so because let's... of that, I'm very sympathetic towards it. I guess <laughs> and I, I certainly don't think that he. I mean, he is also like just a kid, <laughs> you know. I mean, I I think. Like, the message that they send about Sid is, like, okay, this kid could use some, like, positive direction for his creative energies. Like, they talk about, like, he's getting kicked out of summer camp. It's like, okay, this kid, like, needs some assistance in managing his intensity and managing his, like, interaction with other people. Like, you see that with his sister. It's like, okay, like, he's kind of a jerk to his sister. Not an unusual trait for a a teenager with a sister. Um, But it's like, okay, like, if... If he doesn't get this reined in, I mean, like, they're not turning him into a delinquent, but, like, there is, there's a pattern where you see it's like, okay, like, this kid's going to get himself into trouble. But, but there are, without some positive direction. But, like, you're right, like, the creativity is, is good. The pure destructive nature is, like, maybe a little less effective. Yeah. And if he has some positive outlets, if he has some you know, positive influence on, on those kinds of things. Like he's going to be fine. But overall. He, he also says some stuff that it's like, okay, he really needs some kind of direction. Cause when, when, when Hannah is going off to tell his mom something, he's like, no, whatever she says, it's not true. And, and, and he's just like really being like a teenager and be like, no, don't believe her. I'm, I'm not, evil and, and everything and so yeah he he does have creativity like a, a healthy creative imagination but i think the way that he produces it isn't as healthy and i should also say like definitely the the scared straight version of the toys interacting with him that is not the correct avenue for getting <laughs> yes. an improvement in his his lifestyle yes like this was not the best way to approach Trying to get him to change his ways. Yeah. I, I just, I think they, yeah, I think they wanted Sid to read as, like, a budding psychopath. But to me, it's more like, uh, he probably has, like, ADD or something. And, like, yeah, needs to, needs definitely to get things on top. But he doesn't seem like pure evil. But that's, I mean, I love the Toy Story movies. But that's the issue that a lot of them have is, like, you you have like the humans in the world don't know the toys are sentient which makes like a lot of a lot of like the messages and their actions towards the toys really weird uh yeah there's there's only so much they can push Sid towards being a psychopath in the kids movie and so the extent to which they can push him it's like oh like you know he just has like a, a little bit of like a, a small behavior disorder or something. Yeah, like this so is something I, that's good. This is not a kid who's a lost cause. Yeah, I can see how the toys think he is a psychopath and he's like really crazy and they would think that this is the proper way, but they're not thinking it in the to 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 uh to attack him. Uh mm-hmm. but they're not thinking in the proper way of like he's a child and he's a human. Yeah. They they're just thinking oh, of- he's destroying us like we're we're getting killed here. Yeah, there's a lot of human kids who have destroyed some toys and they turn out just fine. Yeah, yeah. I like I think um 
they wanted, like, for example, the torturing of toys to read as, like, the torturing of, I don't know, animals or something, which they obviously wouldn't show in Toy Story, but, uh, mm-hmm. and it does because, like, because they're the main characters of the movie, people forget that, like, in this universe they are also toys and nobody thinks that they're alive. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, generations of people have always, like, I certainly, like, as a kid, for example, thought like it it worked perfectly for me. I thought Sid was an evil bad person. It wasn't until I got older that I was like, I mean, <laughs> he's he's really just playing with toys, you know. But so anyway, I like it's fine for the universe of the movie, but if if we're talking about it in a realistic sense, then I I don't necessarily think that's the worst behavior. He certainly shouldn't take his sister's toys, but yeah. I think it's funny as well because obviously after they've scared him, uh, Tom Hanks is kind of congratulating other, all the other toys and he's like, oh, that was a nice touch when you came up out of the ground. <laughs> he's just kind of like talking with them as if it's like after a performance and he's like the, you know, the, the kind of director <laughs> of this performance and he's just like, yeah, that was a nice touch. I like what you did. Like he's just talking amongst them. Um, and I think that only really works because Tom Hanks is the one kind of doing the voice. <laughs> like he's just like so kind of like genial and stuff with all these toys. He's like, yeah, you know, like he realizes, you know, just because of the way they look, they're no longer terrifying to him. So he's just like, yeah, you know, thanks for helping us, you know, with this. Um, and then obviously that jumps into the kind of uh, the finale of the film as we get, uh, you know, the chase for the moving van. They kind of go after the like they kind of run towards the van as as quickly as they possibly can. Um, and you know, Woody gets into the van, uh, and he, he pushes RC out, um, and you know, to distract, uh, Scud who was chased after them. And so he can rescue Buzz. And obviously the rest of the toys think that him kicking RC out of the van is a bad thing. And they, you know, they turn on him once again and kick him out of the van as well. Um, you know, these toys are very, very, like very quick to turn on, uh, on someone who is basically, you know, uh, Woody has been like the favorite since kindergarten, apparently. So uh, I don't know how old Andy yeah. is meant to be, like eight, nine years old, somewhere around there. It feels like, yeah. you know, so like they've, I'd, I'd agree. they've known Woody for like about nine years, and yet they're instantly just going to kick him out of the moving van in a second the, without hearing what he has to say, which I think is kind of funny. The judicial system for the toys in Andy's room is pretty sparse. Oh yeah, I mean, I the thing is they are merciless. Like as soon as they think you're not on their side, that's it, you're out. <laughs> There's there's no trial, no. there's no judgment. No. It's it's immediate. Uh, Swift retribution. Yeah. And I mean this is like, you know, just in terms of the animation, this is a great sequence where, you know, Woody and Buzz they ride RC, uh, trying to catch up with the van. Um, you know, the other toys kind of realize now that Buzz and Woody are together, that obviously Woody wasn't trying to, you know, also get rid of RC and, you know, they're actually trying to get to them. Um, and obviously, you know, RC is going as fast as he possibly can. Uh, but unfortunately, um, you know, his batteries run out. Um, and, you know, this is where, you know, Woody decides that, you know, with the, with the rocket that is, um, uh, sorry, no, um, yeah, Woody decides to light the rocket that is on the back of Buzz and, you know, it shoots them into the air. Uh, once again, amazingly animated sequence, like, you know, just so, so great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while they're in the air, um, you know, they they see that, uh, you know, they, they've got RC, they drop him into the truck. Um, and then, you know, obviously uh, Buzz pops out his wings to cut the, the rocket um, uh, as the rocket is to explode. And as they glide down, you know, Woody is like, you know, they've missed the van. And, you know, uh, Buzz says he wasn't aiming for the van. And they land 
through the skylight in the car, in the box, and Andy doesn't notice that these two toys have suddenly appeared out of nowhere. He, like, he just turns around and sees them, and he doesn't realise where they've come from, and he's happy to see that he has both Woody and Buzz, and it is just a, like, just a perfect kind of ending to that sequence. Like just, like, just the way that Buzz says, I wasn't aiming for the van, is just such a great moment uh, between the two of them. Just I just love it so much. It's just like, it shows that they are, you know, they have become friends and, you know, they obviously are cooperating to, you know, get themselves back to Andy as, you know, as much as they can. Uh, yeah, I just love the sequence. I think it, it really does pay off. Like you said, there's a lot of like setup and payoff throughout the movie. And this one pays off in a really satisfying way. Like all of the conflict that they've had and the attempts that they've made to support each other and rescue each other towards the end. And then also the, the flying from earlier where it's like, wait a second. Like and there's no explanation ever provided, and I don't need one. But it's like, wait, so like he can fly this one time. He can't fly on his own, but but this one time he can fly and has total control and aim and can aim for the the car instead of the van. Um, but it's like it's kind of great. Uh, and then you do have to suspend the disbelief that Andy just doesn't realize that they were in the box next to him the whole time. He's like, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. He's like, Oh, they were here in the car. It's like. Yeah, you probably put that box there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I mean, as well. Of course, we get the callback where he says, you know, it isn't, it isn't flying; it's falling with style. And you know, mm-hmm. just the, just the fact that obviously, you know, uh, Buzz is kind of like using Woody's language is like just the fact that he's taken that phrase. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's such a great way to kind of show that they, you know, they like together they managed to get back to Andy. Like individually, both of them were like hopeless at trying to get back to Andy um, after being lost. Like you know, neither one of them was able to do it alone, and they had to kind of work together. And also, obviously, you know, they had the help from you know the toys next door as well. So, um, but yeah, I just I just like that it kind of shows how they have kind of become friends, um, you know, over the course of the film. Um, uh, Kelly, how do you feel about the uh, uh, falling with style? Uh, it's a classic line. I thought it was fun. Yeah, uh, and then of course we get a jump, and it's Christmas. We're in the new house, Andy, Andy's family's new house. Obviously, up until this point, I haven't mentioned the fact that his mom is voiced by Laurie Metcalf, which is just like um, you know, at the time again. I think she would have been on Roseanne, or Roseanne would have just have finished uh, like a couple of years before this. So obviously. You know, Disney uh, using their pull to get various sitcom stars from their uh, ABC sitcoms to come in and do voices uh, in this film. Um, But yeah, it is Christmas and obviously there are more gifts that are coming. Uh, I don't think we ever really kind of get an accurate assessment of exactly when Andy's birthday was, but it feels like it's been a few months, um, you know, since uh, since Buzz has has joined the... uh, Mm -hmm. the Well, especially because they have all the decorations up. There doesn't seem to be that many boxes around i think it probably has been like maybe just a couple of months so that they could have gotten a little settled and pull out all the christmas decoration yeah i think there might be some implication that like it's it's pretty close together um yeah but like it looked like it was basically summertime for the rest of the movie maybe early fall yeah that might have just been an issue with the fact that they could only animate stuff brightly so so it just has to look kind of summery (laughs) and there's not really much else they could do um you know obviously as pixar goes on they get better at animating pretty much everything but yeah like i think it just everything is just very bright in this particular toy story universe and so it just always seems like it was uh you know summer. there's a little bit of snow um you know outside the window 
the toys are nervous, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, they've sent uh, the Sarge down to uh, recon what toys are being opened. Um, and we get the kind of payoff to the fact that um, Mr. Potato Head has been kind of wishing that he had a Mrs. Potato Head. Um, and I, I just, I, I mean, I don't know, I just really like the kind of, the fact that that actually does pay off and you know uh, molly's new toy is a mrs potato head and he's like ex- I, I love when he says i need to shave and then he just pulls off his mustache and throws it to one side <laughs> and it's i don't know i just i, I think it's such such a well kind of like the, the the way the animation times it perfectly after he says i need to shave and he's just instantly you know pulls pulls his mustache off throws it to one side it's just such a great kind of moment um that, it's an excellent joke yeah uh, much like when he was trying to do weightlifting earlier, and he instead of pulling up the weight, he popped his arms out because obviously he's a Mr. Potato Head, and nothing is really secured mm-hmm. to that body. Um, yeah, and you know, obviously uh, Woody gets kissed a lot by Bo Peep, who for some reason is wearing um, lipstick and, and leaving a number of kisses all over his face. So, <laughs> I mean, I understand it's for the gag, but it's just a bit weird that like a porcelain figure would have. Uh, lipstick on but she has it on and she's left it all over his face now obviously you know woody is more relaxed and buzz is now the kind of the more nervous one um and i like how you know there is the joke where woody's like you know nothing could be worse than you obviously they're friends they're making jokes and then they find out that andy has a puppy um and that is where the film ends (laughs) so um, I guess we're left to realize that you know a puppy is terrible for toys we'll find out the start toy story too though They've got control over that puppy pretty pretty down, so it's nothing mm-hmm. to be scared of. Andy does not. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, Andy can't can't get that puppy <laughs> to do anything. But in the next film, you know, Woody be in control. Um, but yeah, and you know, we obviously go out with a different version of uh, "You've Got a Friend in Me," which includes Lyle Lovett. Um, you know, and I think the most puzzling thing of the '90s is Lyle Lovett, like. He went out with Junior Roberts for a couple of years. He was in a few films. He was in like um, some Robert Altman films. Um, he had this kind of whole like country like music career. Um, I I mean, it was just puzzling that he was kind of so famous uh, for a brief period in the nineties. Um, uh, I think it's a nice version of "You Got a Friend in Me," though. You know, like I think his voice works mm-hmm. well with Randy Newman. He's a great. This is uh, say what you want about Lyle Lovett, but the man is a great singer, and uh, you know he's got a, a wonderful voice. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where we finish with a, another rendition of, of You've Got a Friend in Me. Um, and I, I mean, I remember seeing this at the cinema and, you know, like I said, when I when I saw it, it was like it was jam packed. Um, you know, the screening was just full. Um, same was true of Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. I think, you know, there's a few films where like literally every time I go to see one of them, it's it's full of people. Um, and I remember people like genuinely kind of being like, when the film was over, like you could tell everyone was like entertained. Um, it's one of those few times where, you know, even, you know, 20 something years on, I can just distinctly remember everyone in the theater kind of looking around and being like, this is a great film that we've just seen. Um, you know, not to jump too quick, you know, too quickly to judgments, but yeah, it's like, it's just a, like the whole film is just perfect in terms of the way the story beats work. You know, obviously, you know, Buzz comes in, thinks he's a toy, gets proven. He's not a toy. Um, finally embraces his destiny as a toy and then by the end he's nervous about being replaced in the same way that Andy was um sorry the same way that Woody was at the beginning of the film so I like I it just works perfectly for his character um and I will say this in the rest of the Toy Story films uh, they give very they give Buzz very little to do really in terms of 
like his character never has an arc this solid um you know at the same time mm-hmm. obviously woody you know being nervous of being replaced and then kind of you know going a little bit evil for a few seconds and then you know trying to get rid of buzz and then kind of embracing um you know buzz as you know kind of his desk you know as his friend again like they get these two wonderful kind of little story arcs between those two characters um you know that are kind of fully realized um one of the reasons why i think this film has like endured and why you know it did eventually kind of you know become like a a full-fledged franchise um which is because like as two characters you know woody and buzz are so well realized um you know and so well performed by their actors that it just you know they feel like proper characters um you know and obviously the world went crazy for buzz lightyear um to the point where um his toys kept selling out and and shops had shortages and you know this film obviously in america came out just before christmas and you could not for you know for love no money could get a buzz like year um christmas 95 it was insane like um uh the same was kind of true of woody as well as well i remember woody selling out a bit as well but not as much as buzz like buzz was clearly the you know the star of this film um you know and obviously it benefited disney because uh they were getting a cut of any toy sales from the, and the licensing so uh it was just a really good deal all round for disney to kind of release toy story um and you know almost straight away as soon as the film came out and it was a success they started work on toy story 2 um they were already working on bugs life i think at the time when this film came out uh i'm sure they would have had, had to have yeah been. yeah uh, and i lo- i really enjoyed bugs life as well uh, i saw bugs life at the cinema twice uh, and the reason I saw it twice was because they had outtakes at the end and they had different outtakes. They changed the outtakes after about three months um, and they put some new outtakes out there. So I was like, I'm just going to see the whole film again just so I can see some new outtakes. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, uh, I feel this is obvious, but we should go to judgments. And I'm going to start with Kelly first. Uh, obviously, we have on this podcast, it is either T-Hanks or no T-Hanks. And, I, you know, I think like everyone's going to be on the same page with this one, but we'll start with Kelly. Yeah, I'm not going to blow anybody's mind here. This is T. Hanks, huge part of my childhood. Uh, T. Hanks for me. I I agree with the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. T. Hanks for me too. Again, another classic for my childhood, and I I agree with Andrew about the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's a really good good film. Yeah. I should say, although it has 100%, obviously Rotten Tomatoes has a very odd way of measuring stuff. Um, its its aggregate mm-hmm. score is just 9 out of 10. Uh, but still, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of, a, I mean, on Metacritic, it has a 95 out of 100. Like, it, you know, like it's... And that's real high for Metacritic. Yeah, oh, like Metacritic, you'll have like Oscar winner, like Oscar winning films and they're like 68. And it's like, that's considered good. So to get a yeah. 95 uh, is kind of insane. I, I think that might be the highest score I've heard of on Metacritic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Toys obviously, Toy Story had. Uh, I mean, I I don't even think I can completely kind of describe the list of all the nominations it had. Uh, but obviously, it was nominated for best screenplay. Uh, it was nominated for best uh, musical uh, score. Uh, it was nominated for Best Song. It did not win any of those. Uh, it did win a special achievement, though, obviously because of what it did. Uh, it took home pretty much everything at the uh, Annie Awards. Um, it was nominated for Best On-Screen Duo at the MTV Movie Awards for t- for Tim Allen and Tom <laughs> Hanks. It did not win that, which I don't understand because, you know, what's a better on-screen duo from 1995 than these pair? Um, I'd have to look at all the movies from 95. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, it's since then it, it has been, you know, um, 
I think uh, the kind of like uh, AFI uh, have preserved the film and, you know, it's gone onto the National Film Registry and, you know, like, obviously it was a, a landmark film. Um, you know, it's it, it's just kind of like just the idea of taking CGI animation and turning it into like a long form film was obviously something that was kind of novel at the time. Uh, you know, within a couple of years, pretty much every studio had their own kind of CGI animation studio. Um, and they all kind of, you know, in, like, I think in terms of like, um, you know, the hand-drawn animation, you know, obviously it declined very quickly at Disney. Like within a few years, you know, basically they just weren't putting out, um, you know, uh, hand-drawn animation films anymore. And the ones they were putting out were just losing money hand over fist. Um, but it's kind of interesting that like, you know, for many, many years, other studios had tried to do hand-drawn animation and tried to compete. Um, you know, you had the likes of, like, Ralph Bakshi and Don Bluth and stuff. And, you know, mostly ex-Disney animators, basically, uh, would go to other studios yeah. and try to kind of create uh, their own kind of, like, uh, animation studio. And it never really succeeded. Um, you know, it just, like, you know, people just kind of really they liked the disney style and they just did not like anything else so i think it's kind of interesting that pixar came along and and kind of you know kind of turned turned to this kind of cgi animation um and then instantly like literally every other studio had their own animation studio of course you know the biggest one probably being dreamworks um you know who who had the highest grossing film i think of the year when shrek 2 came out um you know, so like this kind of this kind of thing went from being like a novelty almost to being like a huge source of income for like a ton of studios, um, you know, and obviously Disney, uh, you know, they immediately uh, they, they kind of had Bugs Life coming out. They immediately tried to get a sequel going for Toy Story 2. Um, you know, I think they'd already signed up to have Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo released. Um, you know, obviously the deal that they struck at the start with Pixar came to an end after The Incredibles. Uh, but by that point, you know, Disney just bought out Pixar <laughs> because that was the easiest way for them to keep control. Um, it's weird to think that there might have been a world where when the Disney deal ended, Pixar would have gone to another studio and um, that studio would have ended up being able to make money off like the, you know, all the, all the different characters out of Toy Story because uh, you know, any subsequent sequels, they would have had like the merchandising rights as well. Um, but you know, as it was, uh, you know, Disney bought bought everything out, and they they took over Pixar, and then Pixar became you know a part of Disney. Um, and obviously, we can talk about that more going forward with the other films. Um, so uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? And I'm going to start with Kelly. Yeah. So I am the uh, co-host of Rocky Horror Minute, which is a minute by minute discussion of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm also the on the cast of the DC Rocky Horror Shadowcast when there is not a pandemic going on. This I'm sure this is going to come out hopefully <laughs> after our theater has reopened, but no way to predict the future, so uh, yes, uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials. That's the main podcast that we do together, going through Disney animated films, not the Pixar films, but the Disney animated films uh, one minute at a time. And you can find us at the extremely awkward Twitter handle T underscore FT memory, uh, should you wish to get in contact with us for any particular reason. Uh, thanks to everyone for being my guest here today. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, T Hanks, <laughs> Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, this film is all about, uh, you know, what Pixar could do for us, but the next film, it's going to be about that thing you do. You've 
got a friend in me Yeah, you got a friend in me Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Newman.